Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Tell Me Tales podcast. Thanks for joining me for another week, another weekly conversation. This week's show is with Cody Williamson. Um, first up, apologies for getting the show out a bit later. I've been on school camp for the last couple of days and um, yeah, really kind of stuffed up my podcasting uh, time. So I know people rely on this show for their Sunday long run or their Friday easy run and stuff. So first up, apologies for not being able to help you out and get you through a long run there. But um, yeah, hopefully you enjoy this chat with Cody Williamson. He's a physio, um, one of Australia's best sports physios. Used to be a gun runner. I grew up with him in Bendigo and um, chased him around the track many of times. Uh, 155 kind of 800 metre guy, maybe 357, 1500. And yeah, really ambitious worker. And he's just worked his way up in the physio world. Now he's a physio for Melbourne City Football Club. And um, yeah, he's Tim Cale's like personal physio. So probably the biggest name in, in sport at the moment with this World Cup soccer qualifications coming up. So Cody's the guy that makes sure he plays well and gets on the pitch and, yeah, all that kind of stuff qualifies us for World Cups, I guess. So good to talk with him. He was a bit short at the start and then I think he warmed up a bit, got a bit more comfortable with the questions and could give us a few more detailed responses and I definitely got a lot that I can now take into my own running training to to hopefully get faster and stronger and I hope you guys do as well after listening to it. Anyway guys, enjoy this chat with Cody Williamson. Okay, welcome to the podcast. Tell me your tales, Cody Williamson. I'm uh, stoked to have you on board. Haven't spoken to you for quite some time, but we've kicked around a bit when we were a bit younger. And yeah, really looking forward to spending the next hour with you. How are you going? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. No worries at all. No worries at all. Hey, what I get the guests to do first up is I always get them to introduce themselves. So do you want to uh, give the listeners a bit of context and maybe just tell us a bit about who Cody Williamson is? Uh, no worries, mate. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm a uh, the rehab physiotherapist at Melbourne City 
football club um, and also do some uh, lecturing and tutoring at La Trobe University for the physiotherapy department. But basically, I, I grew up in country Victoria with yourself, Brady, um, mainly starting out as a aspiring uh, middle distance runner and then... Um, you know, I picked up my grades. I actually think starting running really helped my um, my schooling, um, and then got a good enough score and got into physio and um, did well through that and started working in Melbourne and yeah, and that's how I'm doing what I'm doing now. It's funny you say that because I reckon we first come across paths and you would have been maybe year ten, I reckon, and I might have been like year twelve. Would you reckon that was about the time? Maybe sixteen, yeah. like eighteen. Yeah, about then. Yeah, and you were pretty like, not a wild kid, but you were kind of, um, I reckon, running got and just got you on the rails a bit. That's safe to say? Yeah, I reckon it's it's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing today, mate. It's like, with running, if you don't put the work in, you don't, you don't get results and your schooling is the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it just, it just, it made me realise that if I want to have a crack at school, I'm going to have to put the same dedication I did into me running to get anywhere. Well, it's been interesting to watch your progression, you know, just, um, I don't know, because you were a couple of years younger than Josh and I, who we were both running with at the time, and just seeing you as kind of this younger kid who kind of used to hang around a bit and train with us and smash us in the speed work here and there, and now to see where you've ended up now in life, it's, um, yeah, it's pretty kind of, not, uh, not I guess, rewarding, but it's really, um, yeah, just good to see where you've ended up in life. Yeah, like, maybe you had said to me, Four years ago, you'll be doing this for work and uh, treating the people I am. I would have, I would have laughed in your face. But it's just, it's funny how things pan out. And it, I think if you put the, the hard work in, the results follow. But that progression hasn't been like smooth for you, has it? Like you were grinding away in Melbourne and working pretty hard, like outside of, outside of work and doing kind of a bit of volunteer work here and there to kind of get your foot in the door. Do you want to maybe just talk us through that? Yeah, like. Uh, even just like studying in Bendigo, mate, and then got a good job in Melbourne with some um, my, my main mentors, Paul Coburn and Tanya Pizzari. Like I wasn't that keen on moving up to the big smoke, but I think it was too good an opportunity to pass up. And even that transition from the country life to the city was was quite hard for me. Um, even though I did have friends down here, like just adjusting to the the pace and and yeah, just not being familiar with the environment you're working in every day was a massive challenge yeah yeah right and what about cody williams and the athlete you want to list through your pbs just to let the listeners know just how quick no. you are i've got them written down in a sheet do you know i'm off the top of your head yeah i still remember mate how quick i wasn't um, no you were pretty quick there's not many people who are like you know elite sports physios that have also ran these times yeah uh, i certainly don't feel that fit anymore that's for sure mate <laughs> Working too much. Uh, 155 for the 800, uh, 357 for 15, 834 for 3K and 1447 for 5. Which one of those are you most fondest of? Uh, probably the probably the 5K one. Like, yeah, because that, that's the only 5K I did on the track, I think. So I think I, I started with that and... Went under 15, it was a bit of a surprise, whereas with the 8 and 15, I thought I probably, I thought I should have ran faster than what my times were, so yeah, probably the 5k one's a favourite. Do you reckon you did run faster though on the pro circuit in like handicap races and that 155 and that 357? Yeah, but that doesn't count, mate. Yeah. I hate it when people... <laughs> oh, you know, oh, they're trying to figure out the calculations at 
either have run it or you haven't. Yeah, 100%. But, yeah, it's worth noting that you did spend a couple of years on the pro circuit running pretty fast and pretty competitive. And, yeah, times may indicate that you could have gone quicker than that if you were in a flat race. But, yeah, no, I'm a 155 runner. That's what the times say, so... That's all it is. Had some good places. You won some good races on the pro circuit too, didn't you? Can't remember that year you came second like six times in a season. You just kept coming oh, second. I lost a lot of good races. Yeah, I didn't win yeah. many. Uh, yeah, a lot of seconds. Uh, I can't Ballarat, Bendigo. Um, Keelor, that big one, that rich Keelor. 800 metres. Remember that? Yeah, uh, St. Bernard's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, third at Stall. Um, yeah. Third Lots of stall. seconds and thirds in there, mate, along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You plugged away for a while, though. You were driving all over the countryside um, chasing wins on the pro circuit. Yeah, once upon a time. That's... And then uh, so, work life took over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that 1447, that was at State 5K Champs, wasn't it? Yeah, in the, I was in the B race. I didn't make that. Did I you... didn't have the really time. I Did you win it that year in the, in the B, B race? B race. No, I was second, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Harry Smithers was ahead of me. Yep. Memory? Yeah. I'm in the B race this Thursday night. It's coming up this week. First year in the B race. Jeez, what's your PB? 14? 14, 19, but I haven't ran under 14. It doesn't, doesn't get you in the A race. No, I, I didn't put that down. I haven't ran under 14, 30 for a couple of years. Coming off marathon work, there's no way I'd be able to. I was actually happy. Hopefully I can try and win the B race in like 14, 45 rather than going out at 14, 10 pace with a huge pack in the A race and getting smashed. Yeah, I might have to put the spikes on, mate. Yeah, come down. Come down. <laughs> Thursday night. Should be good. Me and uh, Julie and Spence, who's like on my other podcast, we're both both in the B race and we're both going to go um, head-to-head, I reckon. It should be pretty close. So, it's uh, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to trying to win a race. Should be good. Is that Lakeside? Yeah, yeah Lakeside, Thursday night. Pop down oh. if you're around. Yeah, I'll, I think uh, you might see me there, mate. Let's go back to, like, you had a stack of injuries for it. For someone who's ended up being a physio, um, oh, yeah. let's go through some of the injuries you had growing up, like, at a young age, too. Because you weren't doing, like, a stack of training. You just kept getting stress fractures, eh? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, obviously, that's probably, uh, you know, it was terrible for my running, but it, it really helped me as a clinician, as a therapist, is uh you know being injured and understanding the you know the psychological impact of being injured as well and also what things work and what things don't and also you know helping people to not or to not make mistakes I did and what were those mistakes because there's going to be some people uh, but, listening kind of thinking about possibly they're making the same mistakes uh, probably one of my big ones was thinking not I knew everything, you know, because I was studying physio. Um, I, I probably took ownership of my own injuries, which, yeah, it's, that's my number one rule. Like, even if you're a massage therapist, physio, chiro, get someone else to manage your injuries because you can't, you can't assess and treat yourself. So um, that was probably the biggest mistake I made and, you know, doing my own rehab programs and stuff like that. Yeah, would well, that do your head in hearing about people going on Google and trying to diagnose themselves now, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's, I'd just say don't don't go near Doctor Google. Yeah, you yeah. Know, you yeah. Every every person's different, you know, and you've really got to treat the. You might have a an, an MRI that says something, but you you got to treat the man, not the scan. You know what I mean? Every patient's different, so you just need to take that into consideration. 
Yeah, yeah. Talk us through your like current role at Melbourne City. So like, what's a what's a week look like being a physio for those guys? Oh, um, so yeah, basically I've got a split role. Um, so with the A leg, I'm the rehab physio. So any player that's injured, um, like Bruno Fornaroli at the moment, who broke his ankle, um, while they can't train, they, they like I'm their main physio. Um, and do their rehab programs, and my other the other part of my job is I'm also the development physio for our elite youth talent. So pretty much any of the young players coming through under the age of 21 that have been identified as um, a genuine talent or in like young Socceroos squads or um, you know pushing for selection in those teams, uh, I oversee their develop their physical development and their um, health and well-being. Yeah, so you guys have been pretty successful there too, though, haven't you? Like, didn't you say before we started recording, eight out of the 22 players on the junior Australian team were from your club? Yes, yeah, so we had eight of our young boys and young Socceroos who just recently went to Vietnam. Um, and, yeah, last year our, our youth team won the national title um, against Sydney FC in, on the Central Coast. So, um, yeah, the, young, the lads are doing really well. What do you put that down to? Hard work. <laughs> yeah, but everyone yeah. everyone's working hard, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think they are. But I, I I think everyone does the football, but these boys work really hard off the pitch as well. So they're in the gym four or five times a week. They're doing really hard like running conditioning sessions that aren't too dissimilar to the ones you and I've done, to be honest, Brady. Um, so I think it's it's being a professional on the pitch and off the pitch as well. So you mean like the speed work? I'm probably a few years back from uh, doing that speed work, but is that what you mean, like the fast 150s, the fast 200s, things like that? Yeah, yeah, they do um, uh, a lot of what we call maximum aerobic speed running, which is like um, almost like 15 seconds on, 15 seconds off yeah. sort, of, sort of work. They might do six-minute blocks of that two times and then there's another group that do yeah 150s um they might do two blocks of four of those in around 21 seconds um 40 seconds recovery sort of on the minute so yeah they're not just working hard with the football but they're also we also have a big appreciation for just um general physical preparation yeah, right, right, right. And the strength stuff as well. That's what you're on SEN for last week, like with the kids yeah. kids lifting weights early, which is a pretty controversial kind of topic. Yeah, because like, um, yeah, and it is, and it shouldn't be. That's the, that's sort of what we were aiming to talk about because uh, there's a big um, misconception that doing strength training and weight training in youth and adolescents will stunt their growth, it'll make the muscle bound, it'll um, delay their development, but... Basically, that's a complete myth, and none of the international governing bodies like the International Olympic Committee, um, the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, none of these major organisations actually support those claims. Um, so where are those claims so, come from yeah, then? Like, why is training it... for kids is completely safe as long as it's supervised and um, developed by a qualified coach. But where does that myth come from? Because you've heard that for years, haven't you? Um, yeah, there was some injuries, um, that occurred that were due to poor programming, like I think in the 1970s, like 
kids hurting themselves from from lifting weights that they shouldn't be. But if you've got someone who's qualified and knows what they're doing, they're not going to program the kids to do these kinds of exercises with those weights. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Like people getting in there and being it's like you know kids driving cars or something like yeah. It's um, it's like getting a 12 year old kid to try and run 140k a week. Like any coach in knows anything's not going to make him do that. Yeah, whereas running's not going to hurt him. It's people guiding you the wrong way with running. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of people, like, weight training and weightlift, Olympic weightlifting has one of the lowest injury rates of all sports. You're way more likely to hurt yourself in uh, soccer, rugby, basketball. Even track and field has high injury rates in youth. Yeah, right. What um, what kind of strength and conditioning stuff they do? Because it's one of those ones, I think the running world's probably, like, you see the flow track videos of Alberto Salazar doing it, and a few people kind of starting to get into it. Like the pro guys seem to be always putting out up Instagram stories of them in the gym doing stuff. But um, like obviously you'd agree that there'd be definitely a time and a place for it in a distance runners program. Oh, 100 percent. Like there's really good research um, to show that explosive resistance training, um, which for me like one of the main explosive lifts we do with the olympic lifts and plyometrics improves running economy and distance runners um philo saunders did a paper in 2006 out of the ios that showed that that kind of inter- intervention improves running economy in elite distance runners so um that's kind of the stuff that we'll be doing with the guys is um looking at doing exercises that will try and help their running but also keep them healthy as well because you're not going to get better at your sport if you're not on the pitch so yeah, a lot yeah. of the uh, gym gym sessions are centered around uh, injury prevention as well. Yeah, so much of that. And you guys would do that really well, I guess, like that prevention, trying to get it before the injury kind of occurs. Yeah, like in, it, it'll change depending on what sport you're working in. But basically, you know, in soccer, there's uh, a specific there's specific injuries that keep um, coming up in this certain population, like... Um, hamstring injuries or ACLs so we do specific um, exercises to try and um, reduce the likelihood of these occurring Mm. and is there a kind of a generic set of kind of Olympic lifts or whatever that you could recommend that any like would suit every runner that hasn't experienced with uh, strength and conditioning before uh yeah sort of the thing the thing with this stuff though Braden that I really the point I really want to get across is that you need to be like if you're learning the Olympic list, for example, you need to be taught. It's yeah. not like just not go like in there and throw it. Just, yeah, you can't just go and start kicking a ball and sort of find your way. Like you actually need to be coached through an exercise like the snatch or a split jerk, um, which is why it's so safe as well. Is because if you, to do it properly, you actually need coaching. Yeah, you know right. I mean? It's almost like pole vault. You, could, like, you can't just go and do it. You need someone to show you. Sure, do it. But say there is someone listening and they're like, right, I want to do some strength and conditioning stuff. I want to go down to my local gym. What should they be kind of asking the instructor to teach them with straight away? It uh, depends on the instructor um, for start. Like you don't teach <laughs> exercises you can't do yourself. Yeah. No. Um, basically, the general... The general outline of a, a lot of the programs are all right. They'll do a warm-up, and, and this is on their lower body days, which is probably going to be most specific to runners. And they'll go into an Olympic lift variation um, into plyometrics. Yeah. So they'll do box jumps or bounding or, um, yeah, it just depends on what the person needs. Then they'll go into a 
a double leg strength exercise. So it might be a back squat, front squat, leg press, um, and or an RDA, a Romanian deadlift. Then we'll do a unilateral focused exercise. So it might be walking lunges, it might be a Bulgarian split squat, it might be a step up, and then we'll finish with any injury prevention stuff we might do. Um, so for us, we do a lot of Nordics for, to prevent hamstring injuries, a lot of adductor work, a lot of calf raises, and then they finish with a little core circuit. And that's a typical outline of our um, lower body sessions. So, yeah, right. Um, it, well, this is what um, the strength and conditioning coach I work with, Ralph Napoli, is what he calls meats and potatoes programming. So everyone does like... Uh, the main lifts, if you like, and the the bare minimum. And then if anyone needs extra stuff at the end, they go and do their individual extras. But everyone still follows a generic program because they're the main things we think are important. Yeah. So say for like you, Brady, like you had a a major ankle injury, you might do some extra ankle stuff at the end. Yeah. So so, and then how long would they be in there for? Like that's what you listed is quite a bit. Like is that like an hour session or? Uh on their main lower body it's probably 40 minutes yeah 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 probably 40 minutes off the pitch because they've come off the pitch like they go straight from pitch to the gym um and on that day they actually do gymnastics as part of their warm-up like they're, they're already warm yeah they pretty much can get straight into it if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. it's just a, i guess that um full-time athlete lifestyle when you can afford to train and then also pull another 40 minutes to do the strength and conditioning as well yeah, and that's that's the best part of like one of the things I really enjoy about my job is just having that time with people to put in their hours and develop them properly, not you know sort of rushing things and trying to get to work on time or you know get home so that you can cook dinner or you know it's just having the time to actually develop these kids properly is is, is really great. Yeah, and you'd notice like even with the senior guys, like the professionalism, like it must be. Just uh, like these are some of the biggest names in Australian sport. Yeah, like um, for me, working with um, players like Tim Cale, um, you know, seeing how they operate, uh, not only as an athlete on the pitch, obviously, but behind the scenes and how they operate as a professional has been a real eye opener for me. So, you know, when Tim injured his ankle. Um, you know, before he went away to Honduras, he had a physio at his house pretty much from the moment he woke up until the moment he went to bed, working on icing, compression, elevation, um, specific physio treatment, and just having that dedication to do everything he possibly could to um, get on top of his injury was just uh, really interesting. Do you ever kind of pinch yourself when you're working with those kind of guys? Oh, not really, because they're... You know, they're good blokes, mate. Like, sometimes you, you know, you tell people what you do and they go, oh, geez, that's, that's a pretty interesting job. But, you know, they're just, uh, they're just other people to me, mate. And I treat Tim's ankle like I would anyone else. Mm. You know, it's, you get, with Tim, you have the opportunity to work with him constantly, but you still give the same advice to anyone else. And I think that's why they'd like working with you too, wouldn't it? Like you're not making a big deal out of who they are. You're just trying to treat them, just looking at their ankles, not so much the personality or the or the person that goes with it. Yeah, that's it, mate. We're all they're all people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about um, coming from the running world? Oh, sorry, you go. I was going to say, like, you you break your ankle, um, 
you know, if you're a superstar footballer or you're a weekend warrior playing at Brunswick City or something like that, the, the fracture still heals at the same time. Do you mm. know what I mean? So it, you still got to take that into consideration. Yeah, yeah. What about some other kind of eye-opening things like you've been involved in kind of the elite running world and then the elite soccer world? Like, what can we learn? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question because they're different sort of um, sports. But I think, like, I, I use a lot of track and field-based principles with the soccer guys. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like... Um, Everyone, like in the soccer world, everyone's doing their football training, but it's actually the, the extras that really help. So it might be doing some resisted sled work or sprint training. It might be doing the extra gym sessions that, that um, help these boys get to where they are. Um, and from the running perspective, I think it's a real – I often look back and I know that guys are competing at an a, a international level, working jobs and training – twice a day most days of the week and I just think that you know it's a real credit to these guys that are doing the the daily grind and still competing at, at that level yeah it's pretty insane when you think about some of those some of those guys putting in really big mileage you know 180 200 k's a week and still working full-time and doing that at kind of like 5 a.m and 6 p.m it's um, a bit of a credit to those guys who can get it done and just be motivated to uh, chase those chase those goals yeah, like sometimes I'll use these examples with some of the players. It's like, you know, here's an example of one athlete, you know, they get hardly any funding. They might have a basic sponsorship and they're doing this amount of training. These are the running sessions they do. And when you actually are exposing the players to hard training and you can compare times and different things like that, it also gives them an appreciation of other sports too. Yeah. How, how hard, you know. Some some other athletes are working. Yeah, it's almost you got to pick your sport, isn't it? Like it depends. Uh, you know, soccer's a pretty good one to land in, good money and good uh, support there. But um, yeah, you don't want to be in a few other ones. No, yeah, I think you're in track and field because you love it, not for the for the money. Yeah, yeah. Let's get on a bit of running stuff, mate. I would have a. I've probably got some listeners uh, yelling at the iPod saying uh, you should ask him some stuff about running injuries and stuff so they can get something out of it. But yeah. What are some of the common mistakes I guess you see runners runners making that end in uh, injury and time on the sidelines? Bad programming. Like you mean training plans, like doing too much yeah, or too like, much speed or uh, whatever. Yeah, so when I say bad programming, I'm like too much variation or inconsistency in frequency of sessions. So the person that runs two times a week and then uh, all of a sudden starts running five yeah. and they're motivated. Or, um, or it's spring, the weather's good. Yeah, the weather's good, so that's a recipe for disaster. Um, so have you got a rule you know, about just, generally increasing that? Um, yeah, I th- it's hard because you've got you've got things like intensity, you've got um, duration, so how long the running session goes for, um, you've got frequency. There's all these things you need to consider. I think where you get stuck is when you try and increase too many variables at once. Yeah. So I think, like, you'd say for a long run, if you increase – like I'm only working soccer now, so I'm going back a little bit. But like, if you increase your long run by five minutes and nothing else that week, I think that's safe. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But if you increase that by five minutes, start adding in another second run, 
do two extra reps on your um, interval work day and they're also a little bit quicker. Like that's when you start to get in trouble a little bit. And yeah. the other thing, are you doing the necessary, you know, injury prevention work and strength work to um, make your body resilient and robust enough to tolerate the mileage that you're doing and what you're putting your body through? Are you, are you doing treatment? Are you doing recovery? Are you stretching and mobilizing your body? Like these are all really important things as well that I think um, you need to be considering when you're pushing your body as hard as it can go. Well, I think we neglect that. Like we go to the physio when something hurts, but we don't really do the the prehab to make sure we don't get injured in the first place as runners. Yeah, and that's one of the luxuries you got working at the football club. You know, they get physio every day. Yeah. You know, and um, I work I work for Tim personally as well. So like, you know, he's getting. That for me, that's something that he does exceptionally well. He just looks after his body, and it's a real credit to him. And I think that's like he's 38 next month. Um, and I think the way he goes about his body and in that such a professional manner is the reason he's playing at this at his age. Yeah, yeah. What else do you see with runners? Like maybe like surface or footwear or anything like that. You can kind of shed some light on. Um. Yeah, like if you shoes are. I've had it, you know, that's a that's a big problem for me. Like, I think what I usually say to people, I say, if you think your shoes are uh, too worn, they probably already are, mm. if that makes sense. Like, if you're thinking that you probably need new ones, you, you they probably are too old. Um, uh, I, I, there's a lot of things to consider, like someone's foot posture and what um, flexibility they have in their ankle joint, where they've got strong calves and things like that. But... Basically, um, it's the same with with shoes. Like you don't want to change too much. So like if you're running in one shoe all the time, and then for like your interval works, you're wearing um, a, a normal trainer, and then you go into spikes that you've never done before. Like you're just asking for trouble. You know, if you go from a, a really bulky shoe to one with the without much of a heel lift, you know. That's compressive forces that your Achilles tendon isn't used to. So I think just being really particular with um, those kinds of things will um, helps, helps keep a runner healthy. Well, on that, do you think getting in spikes is even worth it? Like, I know uh, two years ago, like, I had a few Achilles issues just because I come back from a marathon, tried to get speedy, chuck the spikes on. You're kind of fanging around 400s, and um, then all of a sudden your Achilles hurts a couple of weeks later. Well... I think it's, that's an interesting point. Like for someone like yourself, like do you race in spikes anymore? Uh, well, I'm, got me at a good time because I'm half thinking about racing them this Thursday, but I haven't done anything in spikes for oh, maybe since Feb. Like I did a three k in a, in Feb in a pair of spikes, and then I've just been doing all my track work in flats now. Like hitting slower times, but um, I'm feeling like the Achilles and calves are a lot, you know, just recovering better. Yeah, like for me, that's you're asking for trouble, like. Um, prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. So, um, like if you haven't done any work in your spikes and you go and run twelve and a half laps flat out, and I'm like, I, I think that's probably a risk that you don't need to take. What about if I jogged around? I was planning to jog around in them tonight and then do some two hundreds on um on Tuesday. Is that enough preparation, or just keep the flats on? I'm not really yeah. targeting this race. Like I just want this as a hit out, so it's probably not worth. Yeah, it. Yeah, I'd do I'd do some work in them, mate. 
Uh, Even if it's just some strides. That's what I was planning, just do some work in them, just to um, and then get them on. Because I've got a 10K coming up in a couple of weeks, so I was hoping maybe to wear them in that. But yeah, at the same time, when it's the but, bigger picture, like you raise a good point. Like if, you're doing, if you're doing marathons, like, yeah, maybe like, do you need to do any work in spikes? Because you don't race them anymore. Well, that's the thing, yeah, and it might I, be the... I think if, you, if you're doing 1,500, it's different. You've got to, you know, you need you've got to train spikes. Yeah, but I guess it's, you know, when you look at it, it might only be the difference between running 1,440 and 1,450 on Thursday night, whereas the risk factor with the Achilles um, is huge for the sake of 10 yeah. seconds. Yeah, because, like, uh, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of things that change biomechanically when you change from a flat to a, a spike, so and depending on the spike as well. So uh, there are a lot of things you need to consider. Yeah, not much in them. What other mistakes do you see? You'd see some classics come in, wouldn't you, back in the day? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, pretty much like a big one that, that was like going um, from, you know, like a Brooks... Uh, adrenaline into a Nike free because they've read a bloody book on barefoot running, you know, and they change all of their running into um, uh, a barefoot shoe and then they get stress fractures or Achilles tendinopathy or calf strains. So that, that was a big one. Yeah, yeah. Um, another big mistake was, like, not appreciating the impacts of, like, inclination on running. So people getting injured for changing what run they might do around Princess Park or Lake Runa and they go and do the same run up a mountain. You know what I mean? So mm. the compressive forces and um, loads going through the tendons around your ankle are significantly greater when you're running up a hill and downhill. So um, I think that as a, you know, as a training variable is also a really important thing to consider. I saw a lot of people get you know, reactive tendons from doing downhill running and um, which is something their body wasn't used to. So that was something else that was pretty common. Well, I reckon that cooked me a couple of years ago. I went up to do city to surf and um, yeah. just living in a chuka, like, there's no hills. And then, you know, you kind of run that at, I don't know, maybe 310k pace. So you're going pretty hard up the hills and smashing yourself down the hills because you're racing. And then, yeah, I reckon, you know, a week and a half later, just add like runner's knee. That's ITB, isn't it? That's similar... Uh, runner's knees for tough femoral pain, um, but, but yeah, ITB, the two are banned, friction syndrome is another injury that runners get, yeah. so it just depends, just depends on what you have, but you probably, probably have had both at some stages in your career. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What about prevention for runners, mate? Like, so... You know, there's people mm-hmm. out there, and I'm slack as at this. Like, I just seem to be, I don't know if it's my biomechanics or whatever it is, but seem to be able to put, you know, 160, 140K weeks pretty consistently together without doing a lot to prevent injuries. But what kind yeah, of Yeah, but things... you were also really, you know, progressive in how you went about that. Yeah, my training was gradual. Like, I think I've, yeah, trained my body to get up to that level. But, um, you and maybe weight. Yeah, I was going to say the same right, thing. Like, like, so, uh, you know, like, I. I've had to have that conversation with some of my patients when I was working at the clinic. Like, you, you're just too heavy. Hmm. Um, you know, sometimes you've got to say that to people. Like, you know, the heavier you are, if you are carrying an extra five kilos, that's significant forces going through your body that, you know, you don't need to have. And, um, you know, being a bit more holistic and saying, you know, you've got to start eating better if you want to train like this is a really important conversation. 
conversation you might need to have with someone. Mm, that's a good point, isn't uh, it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about like prevention stuff? If you could yeah, hook me up, what would you say I should be doing just to implement into my week? All right, well, you've been in the game. I'm going to throw the question back at you, mate. You've been yeah. in the game for a while. What are some of the major injuries that you've seen in the running population or with your friends since you've been involved in athletics? Uh, well, I had one, mate. He went down with the Achilles before Berlin. So, so like our other tendon, podcast. Tendon problem? Um, oh, yeah. Tendon. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And then he got like a oh. jab in it, tried to get tried to get good to get to Berlin, but um well he what did kind of jab? he did some silly stuff. He started cutting like the back out of his shoes and stuff and then um was just training through that, dropping like five Ks in fourteen fifty and stuff like that, with the heel cut out of his shoes and then it reacted at the front, um, maybe there's shin there. But he got a oh. he got a cortisone and then that got him got him all good, but he still never raced Berlin. So I've seen that a bit. Um, like plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, um, hamstring pain. I was yeah hoping to go, helping a guy with his program, and he had a bit of hamstring kind of um, pain. So they're probably the biggest ones I've seen. Yeah, so yeah, that's interesting. Like I think um, yeah, Achilles tendon problems and plantar fascia um, are a big problem in distance runners. Obviously, it depends what kind of running we're going to talk about because sprinters get a different. Um, a different list of in- injuries, you know. But if it's look specifically looking at distance runners, I think yeah, the tendon um, overload group in the around the foot and ankle is a big one. Yeah. Another one for major, major injuries is like thing injuries related to biomechanics, such as patellofemoral pain or runner's knee or ITB. Hmm. And the other one, big one, is stress fractures. Yeah. You know, so. I think for me, if I'm doing a program for a distance runner, I'll be considering that those common injuries and doing things to minimise the risk of them developing that. So for to prevent bone injuries, you need to do exercises that stimulate bone. Yeah, such so as yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I'll get into. So <laughs> the, the exercises that help with bone integrity most are plyometric training and weightlifting. So the Olympic weightlifters at the at the Olympics have one of the, the those athletes have one of the highest bone mineral densities out of all sports. So for me that's something that I'm considering with runners and doing those movements as well, not just for strength and power of the muscular of their muscles, but also to help improve bone integrity to prevent um Osteoporosis and stuff as well. Yeah, osteoporosis and also stress fractures too. Yeah. So um, that's why that's one of the major reasons I do weightlifting with the with um, with the players at the club because we get we've had stress fractures as well. Um, but yeah, that's something that I think is really important for um, runners. But lifting's with, also good for you, like your testosterone production and stuff too, isn't it? Oh yeah, I, that's another massive thing that I really enjoy talking about. Is yeah, the hormonal. Um, impacts of of doing certain um, lifting exercises. Um, yeah, so weightlifters have really high testosterone. Um, I don't think that, and there's been research to show that doing excessive amounts of endurance training um, decreases the amount of testosterone in your body. So doing this work in the gym, I think, helps uh, counteract those 
maladaptive changes you get with massive mileage. Yeah, I had issues with it last year. I don't think we'd spoken about it before, but um, pretty much after Gold Coast, I just had a shocker, like around uh, 67.50, like it was pretty much a minute slower than I'd been running for half marathons and had a blood test done, and yeah, my testosterone was low. And I'd been having, been trying to figure it out for, probably took me about eight months to figure out why, and we kind of looked at my mileage and I'd do blood tests after having kind of two or three weeks of lesser lesser load, cut back the Ks and it would come back up again and bone density scans and all those kind of things. And then um, I was down to Olympic Park there and we did the skin folds and I come back at like 5.5% and it was just way too low yep. and just um, so my testosterone was kind of dropping to kind of tell me I need more weight on me. But um, And I was just doing too many kind of Ks, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So that, like in that kind of situation, mate, like that would be – a perfect example when I would say, you know, you probably need to maybe drop a run a week and do just a, do a, a gym session to work on um, improving your hormonal profile. Mm. Well, it's so important. So, uh, like, it's performance enhancing. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's as well. But it, for me, like, if you do performance training well, it is injury prevention, it, it is injury prevention as well. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. What about like planter and stuff, mate? You'd see a bit of that, wouldn't you? Plantar fasciitis? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with that, one of the big things for me is making sure you have flexibility in your ankle joint. So we use a test called the needle wall to assess that. Um, and also having good flexibility in your big toe or your first metatarsophalangeal joint. Um, so obviously, like with the with the poundage associated with big mileage, you, your feet and ankles get pretty stiff. Um, so I prescribe a lot of um, flexibility exercises to um, counteract um, those flexibility deficits. Uh, also, with plantar fasciitis, making sure they have good calf endurance. So we do a lot of calf strengthening, both with the knee straight, which will get more gastrox, and then with a bent knee, which will get soleus and some of your deeper um calf muscles like tibialis posterior and i'm not going to go into the anatomy specifically but um making sure that they have good calf endurance there and then also doing some foot intrinsic work so trying to make your feet operate a little bit more like hands so you have we're doing exercises for their toes um differentiating their big toe from their other four grabbing objects with their feet um doing walking drills on different surfaces to try and activate their small intrinsic muscles. They're some of the things that I'll be doing um, to help patients with um, plantar fasciitis. Yeah, and like in regards to preventing it, it's a bit of a prick if you get it, isn't it? Like it's a pretty bad injury. Yeah, it's, yeah it's a, it can be. It can hang around for a really long time. So um, they're, they're sort of more the active modalities we'll use, but then there's also passive intervention like orthotics, injection therapy, taping. Um, yeah, obviously, I, like for me, at first I tried taping, and if that has a positive effect, maybe looking at orthotics um, to help with that in the short term. Um, but at the end of the day, like if you're putting in something to support your foot, you know, you need to be doing exercises to strengthen your foot so it can support itself as well. Mm. Uh, but yeah I try and stay away like injection therapy and surgery is a real last resort you know there's a lot of other things I try before that even shock wave therapy 
you know, we've had good results with as well. Yeah, Krams have been getting that done in Bendigo on his Achilles. Yeah. So, uh, says it's pretty yeah. painful, though. Yeah, it's very painful. But, um, yeah, if you've had long-standing plantar fasciitis or Achilles pain, I think it has a role. And yeah. if you haven't responded to, um, you know, manual therapy, um and strengthening exercises as, as well as you'd like. Maybe, you know, you might consider shockwave for that person. Yeah. What about, like, ice baths? Do a bit of that? Like, post? Yeah, 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 we do. Um, we have good ice baths and hot baths at the club. It's one of the um, luxuries of, you know, being in a professional environment. You don't have to go to APCO, mate, and get two bags of ice after every big session and jump in the bath you know he's already there remember when we did we used to do that all the time in Bendigo remember driving oh. back from like races in like Vic Miles Club and then just going past APCO on the way home and be like 10.30 at night we'd be filling up the bath and yeah chucking the ice yeah, and, that, and that's it mate like sometimes I say that to players I'm like you guys are so lucky you got everything here like um yeah it's it's <laughs> it's just uh interesting but the science you know, is, I know that's the science yeah, the isn't science. out, is it, on like ice baths yet? Like you always, I don't know, you can kind of find a study to, to prove everything these days and you always see stuff flash up on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that saying that some of this stuff isn't worth doing. Yeah, I know, and there's new papers. One paper will come out saying that it does work and another one will come out saying it doesn't. And that's when you've really got to go look at the methodology of each paper and what they actually did and then it, more, it becomes more about the critical appraisal of the study quality than it actually does the intervention. But for me, whenever anyone ever asks me about recovery, the most important recovery modality is sleep. Yeah. You know I mean, people say to me, oh, I've been doing ice baths every training, I'm still cooked. I'm like, oh, yeah, how much do you sleep? How many hours do you sleep? And I'm like, oh, six? There's your problem. Yeah. So unless you're nailing that part, I don't care about recovery pumps. I don't care about ice baths. You've got to get your eight hours. And if you're training hard, you need more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, even that's, with that's the, thing that's, that's the thing that's been shown in the research to time and time again have a positive effect on injury rates of sleep. Yeah, and even um, like your hormone, like reproductive, like it just just kicks everything back into gear. Yeah, mate, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's good stuff. What about foam rollers and stuff? Like, you know all these gadgets like the spiky balls and the foam rollers and those... Those things that people like rollerblades, people putting over their legs, is all this stuff worth it? Yeah, well, mate, it's a poor man's physio. Mm. That's what I say. Like, it's um, you do that stuff when you you can't get treatment every day. You know what I mean? So, it definitely has a role because, and even with the players, like if we've got, um, you know, the, um, we're really busy before training one day. You know, you might say to put. Someone I'll see after training, but just do this, this, and this to work on those parts of your body because um, you know we're booked out this morning or you know we're really busy. So yeah, foam rolling, bikey balls, um, tough massage release, mate. So um, yeah, that stuff definitely has a role, particularly in your sub elite population that yeah, are yeah. still training really, really hard. Um, but without the resources that some other athletes might have. Can't get to the physio every night, but you can always spend 10 minutes on front, in front of the TV on the foam roller. Yeah, that's it, mate. So the other thing too for me in recovery is stretching. Like, there's, I've been involved in running for a long time. Not many people stretch enough. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm shocking at stretching. Like, I never stretch. Got to start. Yeah. Yeah, mate. It's, uh, you'd be surprised how much better your legs feel if you just, you know, stretch for 20 or 30 minutes. It's always it's after, night. though, isn't it? Uh, no, you, we stretch before. It's just um, we might manipulate how long you hold stretches for. Yeah, right. Um, and we'll make sure that uh, – well, I'll make sure if you've done stretching before training that you activate the muscles as well before you start training so you're not going in, like, straight from stretching into training. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, so if you're, like, stretching your glutes, you might do that and then – after it, they do some glute bridges to activate the muscle they've just stretched. So then you're learning how to use the muscle in the new range of movement that you've improved through the stretching intervention, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, 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 it does. Because the same thing is like the ice baths. You always come across studies and headlines that say that you should do the like A skips and the butt kicks and all that kind of stuff as a warm-up and then the stretching is the, after the cool-down. Yeah, and like, yeah, definitely after. Like, I've got no issues with it then, and that's um, when we encourage them to do most of their work is after training. But if you've got areas of your body that just keep getting locked up, there's, I've got no issues with, you know, doing stretching before training. It's just um, how you go about it and making sure you, um, you know, do your activation and exercises as well. Yeah, right. So I need to, need to stretch more. I need to get on the foam roll more. That's going to be my goals after talking to you. Um, yeah, maybe sleep more too, mate. I don't know. Maybe you're on top of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right at that. I'm in bed pretty early. Not like you. You you need to sleep more. You never get early nights. Oh, mate. I don't compete anymore, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, you're, yeah, I'm You're trusted with some pretty important ankles, so you need to be pretty switched on as well. Yeah, Caffeine helps too. Caffeine, yeah, yeah. How many coffees are you having a day? Three. Three. Two to three. Long black? Yeah, long black. Yeah, yeah, no. Long black's a good All over it, mate. Yeah. No sugar. No sugar, long black. What about diet and stuff? What kind of, um, I guess, for injury prevention, kind of how big of a part does diet play with the athletes you're working with? Uh, Like I said, if someone's overweight and they're trying to run a lot, (laughs) diet's pretty important, mate, you know, like... If you're trying getting getting into running and you're 20 kilos overweight, um, you know you can and getting plantar fasciitis, uh, you can do all the calf work you want, but you, you just need to be lighter. Um, so for someone like that, diet's really important. Or someone who's um, you know not recovering well from sessions. So it just depends on the individual and the injury. But um, once again, I think. If you want to get the right advice, you, like with the resistance training, you need proper coaching. And with diet, you, you, know, you need to go see a sports dietitian to see what's best for you. And mm. we're lucky at the club, we've got all these resources. It just becomes a little bit difficult when you know, you're dealing with your sub-elite population. But something that I see, and I'm not a dietitian, so you know, take, take what you're going to what I'm saying. But yeah, yeah um, probably people... Um, don't eat enough fish, in my opinion, or because uh, there's a lot of good stuff like omega three and um, high source of protein. Um, and that's something that I've seen dietitians recommend a lot since I've been working is telling people to eat fish a, a bit more regularly and 
and making sure they're um, having plenty of greens as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those spinach and kale and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Broccoli. Yeah, if it if it's green and crunchy, it's probably good for you. Mm, well, if it's if it's not, yeah, if it's going to go out of date, it's good for you. Not this processed garbage that um, yeah, goes out of well, doesn't go out of date. Can just sit on the shelf for a year and still be the same product. Yeah, like just saying that to people, like you should try and get most of your food from the perimeter of the supermarket. You get into trouble once you start walking down the aisles. Yeah, yeah. You know that's where all the the good stuff is: the meat and the veggies, and so. Yeah. yeah, it's just those uh, conversations you need to have with people. Yeah, but like a lot of people you'll be working with already tuned into that one. They like now in the soccer world, like they'd be leaps and bounds ahead of the general public. Yeah, yeah, and like some people have had exposure, had exposure to you know dietitians and um, been involved in elite programs for a long time. So sometimes you know. You don't have to talk about it a lot because they're on top of it. But it's the it's the new kids that come in, mate. Like guys that are uh, second year as a professional footballer, they're guys that you really need to keep an eye on. Like um, I um, had a conversation with one kid. He was drinking one liter of juice, like um, just off the off the shelf. And I said, mate, do you know how much sugar's in that? And he's like, yeah, but it's from apples and stuff. You know what I mean? So it's there's, that's like two cans of coke you know it's still a lot of sugar like there's better things you could be drinking after training well it's but like it's just, having like uh, 20 apples like your body couldn't absorb 20 apples because with the fiber in it but it can yeah it can when you start juicing it and just yeah you get 20 apples worth of natural sugar yeah and you don't need 1.2 liters in one hit you know so it's just like education about that and portion control and um timing but yeah, I'm, we're really lucky at the club. We've got um, those resources in place already. What do you see with those guys at the club, like especially the big names? How they kind of manage themselves, um, like I guess with the media and their like routines and anything. I know you you know you can't share some stuff, but have you learned anything from how they go about their day to day? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, like. Th- one common trait of the high performers, mate, is they're the first to get there and they're the last to leave. Mm. So, um, it, for me, what separates the elite from the um, the good is the is just mentality. You know what I mean? It's it's doing the extra things after training. It's looking after your body. It's talking to your physio. It's asking, you know the strength and conditioning guys, what they can be doing to get better or to, uh, it's, yeah, it's just mentality, mate. Mm. It's their attitude. Well, and to all those, like, hard work, but doesn't work hard. Yeah, it's just those hours too, isn't it? Like, you kind of read the Malcolm Gladwell kind of stuff, like the 10,000 hours worth of work before you can expect to be good at something. It's kind of um, pretty similar if those guys are putting in all those 1% hours. Yeah, that, that's been... That ten thousand hour principle's been shown to not be correct. It it depends on the sport. Yeah. If your sport if your sport's more of a skill, that approach works. But you know, there are people that you know. We well, need a bit of talent and stuff as well. You can't just yeah. bang on something for ten thousand hours. Yeah, there's actually a paper on it, like of how many hours people have put on to uh, put in to get become elite performers. Yeah, Matthew C- did Matthew Seed write? Um, he's got a book on it as well. I reckon there's another guy. 
Yeah, maybe. I, I think this is actually a journal article, like in a peer in peer reviewed literature, oh, okay, and yeah. shows certain certain um, uh, athletic tasks don't. You know, it's only two thousand hours of practice, so talent obviously comes in, and genetics comes into some events, whereas other sports that are more skill dependent, like golf or something like that, you know, it's probably higher. Mm. Higher hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, mate. Give I'll me. i to get up for. Nah, yeah, do that. I wouldn't mind reading it because I spent a bit of time reading a bit of Gladwell's work. He does well, though. He writes some good books, that guy. It's, um, it's very easy to read yeah. about that kind of stuff. Maybe not scientifically correct, though. Um, let's give yeah. the listeners something, mate. Let's give them something they can do at home. I've already got my goal to stretch more and get on the foam roller more. But, um, and I need to get in more, braid as well. Hey? Keep putting that one on. You need to get in the gym a bit more. Actually, I've got to do heaps of stuff. Like I'm not, I've, I'm not hitting any yeah, of those one percent. I'm trying to run a school as well, though, mate. Like it's hard work trying to do all this other stuff. But um, yeah. So yeah, I've got to get in the gym. Actually, send me some good gym stuff to do because I've always been a bit hesitant to get in the gym because I don't want to do anything from someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, kind of thing. Yeah, um, so that's when you need to find someone who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's why I found you, mate. This is the whole part of going on the podcast. Uh, so. To yeah. share some ideas. Um, yeah, so give me something like some generic things that any listener could do to kind of help them out. Oh, God. Um, distance runners or yeah, runners? distance runners. Calf raises? Yeah, all this stuff's boring though, mate. Whenever you go to the physio yeah, and come back and they tell you to do calf raises, it's like we, we can find the time to go for a two-hour long run on a Sunday, but finding three minutes to do some calf raises just is annoying. Mate, I look back on like I had, I think I had four different, I think I had four stress fractures in the time I was running, and whenever I got them, I wasn't doing calf work. Yeah, right. Whenever I was healthy, I was doing calf work twice a week. So, uh, yeah, calf raise is a big one for me. Um, yeah, uh, calf raises, and that's like for anyone, being, even if even um, if you haven't got an injury, just go out and do some calf raises every night. Yeah, like. Find a runner that hasn't had an injury in their calf, foot, or Achilles area. Mm. You know, you know, like I think most runners have had something down there, so I think you should be, as a general rule, be uh, addressing that. Yeah. Um, making sure you've got good flexibility in your foot and ankle, because um, you, you know, your feet get stiff with the mileage. So is that uh, just like sitting on, you know, the floor in front of the TV of a golf ball and just trying to move it around with your foot and kind of grab it and pick it up and stuff like that? Would that be pretty practical? Uh, that's, yeah, like more self-massage related. I'm actually doing like stretching as well for yeah. your ankles too. So we do like a lot of kneeling stretches, um, uh, different yoga poses that um, sort of specifically work on these areas. Yeah. Um, that would be the other thing. I would recommend um, making sure you're doing some kind of training that keeps your bones strong. So weightlifting, but you, obviously you need coaching initially to learn the skill of those exercises. Mm. And also doing um, plyometrics will not only help with running economy, but also injury prevention in terms of um, strengthening your bones. Yeah, yeah, right. That would be the main one, mate. Well, they're pretty significant. Like there's explosive, some good stuff there. Explosive weight training. Calf work and uh, good flexibility in your foot and ankle. What about am I wasting time doing like the A skips and like the lunges and the high knees and stuff like that before workouts? 
Definitely not. That's just no, a, it's your, uh, that's a dynamic warm-up, mate. Yeah, yeah. The old... Uh, the old no, you wouldn't run as well if you didn't do them. The old three-set to that and a few 200-metre strides. That's the generic warm-up for me. Yeah, it depends what you're training for. Um, but I think also adding variation to that as well. Like, we'll periodise warm-ups. So, like, you've probably been doing A-skips and butt-kicks for 10 years now. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You, you probably need to... Um, like, yeah, we'll... Do, we have different warm-ups for different sessions and we'll also periodise when we uh, – the exercises within the warm-ups. Yeah. So, you know, we've got uh, – just even though, you know, how old are you now, Brad, 29, 30? Yeah, 30 next month, mate, 30, getting old. 30 next month, um, you know, like I'm sure there's still – like if I was working with you, there'd be exercises you wouldn't have done before. Hmm. So sometimes it's teaching the old dog new tricks. You're right, though. I remember learning those A-skips with you down at Tom Fudd Sports Centre about 10 years ago, and that's been my generic warm-up for the last 10 years, like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, most days of the week, most weeks of the year. Yeah, so it's, it's a bit of a not, like, there's not enough variation in stimulus there. But we're habits that's, of creatures, aren't we? Well, like, creatures of habit. Well, yeah, yeah. you got OCD or something, mate. But it does, mate. You know, I do think I have a bit of OCD. But I think yeah. it, um, <laughs> we just get too comfortable and you're never going to improve if you stay in that comfort zone. And, you know, even going to the gym a couple of times, I've gone to a couple of gym class and I just come home feeling like sore and I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to be that sore. But then you can go punch them 400s and it's like a rewarding feeling sore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the thing I think about with that is like specificity is king. So if you want to get better at running, you run. So, mm. And I've said this in the podcast as well. Like if you want to get better at sprinting, you sprint. But generality, so doing things like strength work, stretching, getting – uh, doing self mobilization on your body generality keeps the king on the throne so that's what that's what keeps you help, healthy so you can do the specific work mm. yeah, it's almost and it, doing the know, training to be trying to becoming stronger and more supple it, it increases your potential to tolerate greater training loads as well well i think the stuff with that gym stuff it's also good for you outside of running like it's good for you to be a healthy human oh absolutely mate like and that's another real big passion of mine and something that when I was working in the clinic I did a lot of research on was um, sarcopenia which is age-related muscle loss yeah so it's um, resistance training can have the most positive effect in the aging adult Um, because if you don't train strength you lose strength and it just decreases across the lifespan unless you're doing some kind of training to um, counteract it. You, you know, if you're doing the training, you can slow down the rate at which you lose your strength. You know, you, yeah. get, you get weaker as you get older, but it's yeah. how fast you get weaker. Yeah, right. So get in there. Get in there. That's so you, good. Yeah, you're born weak and you die weak. Yeah, yeah. So just that. That in the middle, you, that's when your strength's optimal. Yeah. And just, sorry. Yeah, I was going to just go back to um, your warm-up because I was sort of saying before, you know, small changes in programming, you know, is the key to overload. And if you change too many things at once, that's when you get into trouble with injury, like adding sessions, adding reps, increasing intensity. Um, So you've got to be careful. But also if you just do the same thing over and over again, like you've just highlighted you do in your warm-ups, that's... That's also not ideal either. So that's what we call um, habituation. So if you're doing the same thing constantly, constantly for months and even potentially years, you become habituated to that stimulus and 
you know, you're not necessarily going to be adapting. With your, you know, your potential for adaptations sort of gone because you just your body's used to it. Mm. So it might be like for someone like you, Brady, teaching you something like scissor bounds or skip bounds, um, and actually progressing what warm up exercises you do. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, it's just food for thought. So they're probably just doing nothing more than just warm me up for the session really now rather than that, like, activation or that, you know, getting new muscles going. Yeah, but even that part, like, if you're – the warm-up part of, uh, like, a quality session will be a, a perfect opportunity where we'll put in um, some of the plyometric exercises we were talking about before. Mm. So I might do um, – box jumps up a flight of stairs or um, tuck jumps and things like that as part of our warm-up, but you're also getting your plyometric stimulus in. And for someone that's time poor, that's a really uh, important way to, to program it. Yeah, and, and I think as runners sometimes we need to sometimes um, think, like you said before, you can drop a run and do the gym and it's going to be better for you and we get a bit caught up in trying to hit you know X amount of Ks for the week and do as much running as we can possibly fit in, whereas bang for your buck and get more out of going to the gym for half an hour than doing that 8k second run in the day yeah or like just like sometimes i've had to be really creative with certain um athletes and you know make their gym more body weight so they can do it at home or Mm. get just have that conversation with your with your um patient or your athlete go and buy some gym equipment yeah and use your own gym i've made i've made athletes who are time poor build their own gym at home mm. so they've got a seated calf they've got a, a, a barbell and some basic weights yeah because driving them, there's nothing but fun about driving to the gym nah no nah, like you know if you run from home you do your 8k evening run or whatever and then you just go and do even just 20 minutes of gym and you, your body's going to be a lot better for it mm. yeah yeah you've motivated me this is what i needed hey oh, what's uh oh. What's coming up for Cody Williamson next? You going to the World Cup? Oh uh, yeah. Well, look, we are uh, the soccer is qualified, so uh, I guess I am in a position now where um, that's probably on the cards. I've never been to Russia, so um, yeah, potentially. Russia would be mad. Have you seen that doco about the Russian doping, like Ikevis? No, I've heard about it though. It's on my uh, to-do list. Yeah, so you got Netflix. Watch it on there. It's so good. It's on Netflix. All right, sweet. And then um, Joe. Got my sorted now, mate. Yeah, watch it for sure. Joe Rogan did a podcast with the guy as well, like a three-hour podcast. The guy who made it, and they go into even more detail. It's so good to uh, yeah, they just aren't. It's almost scary some of the lengths that uh, the doco goes through. The dark side of elite sport, hey. Well, yeah, and the money behind it, and I don't know, like, it's, I think it, more and more of it's dark. Like maybe we were kind of under a bit of an illusion for so long that so many people were clean and just most of them were, were dirty. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's breaks your heart a little bit when you hear all these stories about, you know, athletes that you've looked up to for a long time, and, you know, I, I still remember you, uh, a few years ago, I think when I was on placement as a physio in Chicago, just finishing uh, Lance Armstrong's book, I think, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to love that book. I just heard him. He was on Rich Roll's podcast this week, and I was running with listening to that for like an hour easy jog the other day. And, yeah, it's strange how the whole – like, I still don't know what to believe about it now. He kind of – the way he was presented by the media and just his personality. And, yeah, it's a strange thing, drugs in sport. 
Yeah, maybe it was earlier now. I can't remember. I do, I do remember you telling me it was a good read, and um, and then all of the stuff obviously came out, and just yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's funny. It's a it's a problem that I don't think we're on top of. Um, but it is what it is. Yeah, well, we're not going to be on top of it until the the governing bodies put more money into it and there's more funding and like they just seem so far ahead of the game. Yeah. Yeah, mate, like, I'm not involved in any of that stuff, obviously, so, like, uh, yeah, I can't comment on it, but it's just, yeah, it's disappointing, but it's what people are doing, and when it, it's important to know, I guess, for some athletes, that some of the guys they are competing against, they might be doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's getting you know, better. I think it was, a, it might have been the 1500 from London, like, pretty much half the race is... Yeah, it's gone from uh, drug cheats. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And some of the women's like results now in like the the ten k and the half marathon, like they're running ridiculously quick times. Yeah, like really fast, like twenty nine forties and stuff. And like, yeah, it's just like oh, I hope it's real, but I don't know. I kind of got a lot of mates, and there's a lot of us who can't break thirty minutes, and we're we're kind of quick over 15 and 5K and we're training pretty hard and, yeah, we're just a, a minute behind these lead females. Well, you could argue you're training as hard as them. Yeah, I'd like to think you know, we're punching the same kind of like weekly mileage out. Is it, it might be just that, you know, uh, is it talent? Is it the fact that they're working, not working? You know, they've got funded positions. Is it, you know... Because your body can only run so much. Yeah, <laughs> maybe true. they're maybe they're doing the gym work that you're not doing, mate. The stretching. <laughs> could be, could be living at altitude, all those kind of factors. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, what's coming up for Cody Williamson? You got a couple of. Uh, I saw your name on a poster the other day for a keynote speaking thing coming up. Yeah, that's something else I like. I really enjoy is I'm uh, um, involved in the um, teaching aspect of the physiotherapy program at La Trobe. Also do some uh, lectures um, across the year, so I'm doing one next week on um, making, or pretty much on rehabilitation. So just um, what I'm trying to, um, get, what the points I'm going to try and get across is that when you get injured, when I'm rehabbing you, I want to make you more robust than you were before you got injured. I actually want to make you better and stronger so you don't get injured in the first place, if that makes sense. So mm. not just rehabbing you to the level that you were at, actually making you better, making your legs stronger, making that shoulder more robust, more resilient to um, forces and, and loads. So that's sort of um, what I'm going to be talking about next uh, next Tuesday. Yeah, right. How do you find this balance, though? Like, it's worth noting for the listeners, you're 27, you're... Uh... Yeah. You're lecturing at uni, you're working with some of the, well, probably the biggest name in soccer at the moment at his physio, you're working at Melbourne City, um, you're trying to kind of be a 27-year-old at the same time. How are you kind of going personally? No, I'm good, man. Oh, uh, yeah, I wish I was running more. Like, that's something that has, like, you can only do so much, and that's something that's had to give, mm. and I'm not competing. Um, I'll probably, that's something that uh, I really do miss, but... Um, life's good at the moment. I just make sure I do get out every couple of days and or every couple of times a week and have that hard track session and try and get that feeling. I think you were talking about before, and um, I think if I do that and you know 
uh, I, I keep saying, yeah. it, it is a juggling act, but um, running running's still really important for me. Well, it's just good not, for your head, not, isn't not, it? Yeah, it's more for it's more for my mind at the moment. Hmm. What What about the future? Like, you're gonna get back into it, you reckon, or like run a marathon, or because you just seem to pop up at some random fun runs now and then. Oh, I haven't. I haven't raced to be honest. For I think I've only raced like once in the last twelve months. So haven't done a lot. Um, uh, I don't know, man. I'm actually like I've been um, just experimenting with learning, you know, different skills to help with my job. Like I went down the track the other day and started throwing shot put with some some mates down here. So it's probably more, uh, you know, teaching my body new things and um doing things i haven't done before that i probably should have been doing when i was 14 which is yeah. something that oh, is another big part of my job at melbourne city is exposing the, the kids to different skills yeah um so yeah. i'm sort of really against i'm not against like i obviously understand that you need to work on your craft that 10,000 hour rule um it it really limits your um, exposure, particularly in youth, to different skills. So my big thing with the youth guys is making them um, competent lifters and good movers, so exposing them to a variety of movements so um, their bodies are more coordinated, um, they know how to do a variety of movements. So say they get a contract at another club and they've got cleans programmed, because that's what their club does. They know how to do it. Or they know how to do lunges. Or they know how to do bounding. So for me, um, yeah, that's something that I'm really big on is exposing the guys to different movements. So this week we've got our throws coach coming down to work with the keepers. I'm going to teach our goalkeepers how to throw a javelin and discus. So, um, yeah, that's sort of probably what I'm more interested at the moment, mate, is just doing things with my training that helped my learning. It's pretty motivating. You must be obviously pretty motivated though, like to do that, you know, when people switch off from their job and just kind of, because you've always been like that. I remember when you did rounds with me, you were, um, you know, reading physio books at all hours of the night, whereas some people get home from work and work's done, but you constantly are learning and wanting to get the better out of yourself for your job. Yeah, it's because I, I think I was lucky, mate, and I've I, I got a job that I actually do love, you know what I mean? So... Sometimes studying and reading and, um, you know, constantly learning about my my craft, it's not a chore. Like, I actually enjoy it, um, which it, that's the only reason I, I can do what I do is is because is, um, I've got a job that I really love and I enjoy helping people. Um, so, you know, I think if I was doing a job I didn't enjoy, mate, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing these extra hours and reading journal articles until all hours of the night. Yeah, that's good, that's good. Hey, I'll usually finish off with the same question to every guest. Have you got a mantra or a philosophy or a life quote that you kind of live your life by? Uh, oh, God, you got me on the spot here, mate. Uh, I told you about it before we started recording. What do you mean I put you on the spot? I've got too many. Um, <laughs> You'd have something hanging above your bed, I reckon. With with the band uh, posters, yeah, no, I've got just uh, some anatomy posters up at the moment. Oh, okay. um, yeah, right. May your results reflect your efforts. Ooh, that's deep. what my uh, deep my year, my year twelve PE teacher told me at school. 
And it's yeah. stuck. Great. I like that. That's a good one. Many results. I'll see if uh, you put the work in. Yeah, right. You're on, a, oh, you're on Twitter, aren't you? If, listeners are, if listeners are keen to follow up with what you're doing, where's the best place to get you? Twitter? Uh, I think it's at Williamson Cody on Twitter. Yeah. So, yeah. You don't, really like, you don't really like social media, though, do you? You don't buy into that much. Uh, I, I actually, I'm on Twitter a fair bit, but I just, I more use it for learning, mate. Yeah, I'm yeah. Always, uh, following certain coaches and clinicians that I look up to, and I use it to um, gather more information rather than, uh, you know, to connect with people as such. Waste time. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, mate. I'm off Facebook. That was no good. Yeah, I reckon I'm getting real close, actually, to pulling the pin on Facebook. It just takes up too much time. Yeah. You just end yeah. up scrolling through stuff you don't care about. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so, anyway. Beautiful, mate. Thanks for your time with this week's show. No worries, I'm mate. Sure Thanks for I'm sure the listeners will, uh, yeah, I've definitely taken something out of that and things that I can implement into my training week to make me a bit stronger and prevent some injuries and hopefully the listeners uh, got something out of it as well. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Beautiful, mate. Thanks for that. All right, thanks, bro.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.